Well, hello and welcome. Come follow me with fair, faithful answers to New Testament questions. My name is Jennifer Roach. We are going to be looking at some questions your evangelical friends or family might have about your faith or our church um, that come up in the New Testament readings as we go through New Testament this year. I'm really excited about this week's topic. We're going to talk about temples. Um, if you have evangelical friends or family, I bet that this topic has either come up or they probably would like it to come up. They've got some questions. So we're going we're gonna to look at this and, and see what we can do. The text this week, um, we're in Luke chapter two. Joseph and Mary are taking Jesus, baby Jesus, to the temple. Um, and they meet Simeon and Anna there in the temple. Here's Luke 2, 22 and 27. And when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought baby Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And Simeon came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, right? So Simeon's all excited. He gets to see Jesus. Anna gets to see Jesus. They're, they're essentially working or worshiping in the temple. So again, we're looking at a section of Come Follow Me readings that correspond to a common question evangelicals have about our faith. Last time, we talked about how evangelicals um, have a really high value on showing loyalty to Christ, and that that makes them suspicious of some of the claims of our church. So this week, we're going to talk about temples, why evangelicals are so skeptical of the need for a, temp for a temple, kind of why they think that way, and and some ways to have a better conversation about this so that you can be able to share what you know in your testimony about the temple in a way that isn't going to just turn into some kind of argument with them. That's not the point of any of this. So what do evangelicals understand about temples? Many evangelicals actually have a very keen interest in learning about temples as they are portrayed in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. They understand there's a great deal of symbolism there. They understand that God is trying to teach through those symbols, that everything in the temple has meaning, that it was super important to the people's relationship to God. They have a working knowledge of what temples were like in the New Testament, in part due to passages like this and others. Um, probably more knowledge around when Jesus was alive than, than after his resurrection, but still a very keen interest in temples in the New Testament times as well. You might find your evangelical friends or family to be an interesting source of conversation about temples as they're portrayed in the Bible. Um, another common commonality between evangelicals and Latter-day Saints that you might not necessarily think of is they believe that a temple will be restored. They believe it will be a temple, a singular temple in Jerusalem at some future point that has to do with the end times. They do not buy into the idea that temples are restored now. However, that's a pretty interesting conversation piece right there, that they have a belief that at some point a temple gets restored. So where do temples get uncomfortable for evangelicals and how can we understand why they're thinking that way? Um, so he, here's an example. 
I grew up in California. Modesto, California is where I grew up. And it's about an hour and a half away from the Oakland Temple, which had been built, I think, before I was born. Um, and if you've ever seen the Oakland Temple, it is up on a hill. Um, it's lit up at night. You can see it all around the San Francisco Bay Area. It's very hard to miss. Our church leaders, um, parents, and, and other adults would tell us to not even look at it. I remember being in a church bus driving across the Bay Bridge, headed east to leave San Francisco to go home. It was nighttime. You could see the Oakland Temple. It's over off to the left. And we were told, don't, don't look at it. You, you really shouldn't, um, you, you shouldn't even be seeing it because suspicious or scary or wrong or strange things happen inside of there. Don't even look at it. So clearly <laughs> a very misguided statement, but it represents the kind of fear that evangelicals have when it comes to temples. Don't even look at it. But when you sit down and have a conversation with them about temples, it really, it always boils down to one thing, to one question. Didn't Jesus do away with temples? So we'll start there. I I want to explain what most evangelicals would say as to why temples are no longer needed. Um, they have this incredible respect for Jesus Christ. They don't want to disrespect him. You'll see how that plays out in this argument. First, you have to understand evangelicals prioritize the work and the words of Jesus. Despite uh, the numerous mentions of temples in the Old Testament, none of that matters in comparison to Jesus's relationship with a temple. It, an admirable and understandable way to look at scripture. For them, the ultimate temple story is when the temple veil rips in half during the crucifixion. It's recorded in the Gospels, this version, Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. The temple veil referred to here is, of course, it's the veil that separates the, the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. In Old Testament days, the Holy of Holies was entered one time per year, only by a very special priest, and there were very strict rules to follow around this. Normal people certainly did not have access to the Holy of Holies at any point during their lives, and in fact, most priests never did. You had to be chosen for that, and there were enough priests that most were not. Evangelicals interpret this verse as saying that the entire temple is unneeded. That veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that veil being ripped to them, that translates into none of this is needed. They would say something like, if the veil is ripped, then there is no need to protect the Holy of Holies. Anyone can have special or direct access to God. You don't have to be the special priest who was chosen. While we would certainly have some disagreements with this interpretation, there is something admirable in it. And I want to point it out in part because understanding another human, understanding another person 
Um, attributing some good motives to why they see things the way they do can be really helpful and it can make conversations better and it can make them more likely to listen to you instead of, oh, that's just some anti-statement. Let me try and tell you why there, there is a little bit of good in that. They're trying to, to make it so that every person has access to God as much access as they want and all it takes is the turn of a heart to be in full communion with God. They would say that because of Jesus's sacrifice, we humans no longer need anybody to help us connect with God. And in theory, we don't disagree with that. We too believe that every human can choose to, to move toward God, that they could choose to pray, maybe in the quietness of their own mind instead of a temple, um, and that God will listen. We are not in disagreement with them on that. That's a common value that they have and that we have, that every single person should be given the opportunity to have access to God. That's a beautiful thing. The difference comes when evangelicals start to make a practical application of this theology. Because the temple veil was ripped in two, they would say there is now no barrier between us and God. And therefore, it is not necessary to go to a temple to be in God's presence. They would say we can have access to it anywhere, anytime through the spirit, and that it is exactly like being inside of a temple, that anything that previously could have been done in a temple now can be done outside of a temple. In their view, temples are unneeded simply because no physical space can cause a person to have or not have the spirit. That's how they would see it. I, again, in, in theory, we don't necessarily disagree, but they use this to say that therefore temples are not needed. They see it as us putting up a barrier to people who want to be closer to God. When, when Jesus's work on the cross took that barrier down, their hearts are certainly in the right place. Even, even still, like there is a certain logic to their claim and a good motive behind it. It doesn't really pan out. We, once we get into the details of it, we certainly would have disagreements. If it didn't, but if the New Testament ended immediately after Jesus's resurrection, they might have a convincing claim. Jesus did away with the temples, bail ripped in half. Ta-da, end of the show, it, uh, the, the end, off we go. However, <laughs> we actually have a lot of information about what a life of faith looked like post-resurrection, right? Jesus ascends into heaven 40 days after his resurrection, and we get the entire rest of the New Testament, a glimpse into what these people's um, lives and worship were like. And that information includes temple worship, let me, let me show you what I mean. Acts 22. We won't be there and come follow me readings for several months. Sneak peek. Acts 22, we get this fascinating story from the Apostle Paul. Evangelicals, don't talk about this story. <laughs> um, first, so Paul is speaking. First, he retells the details of his conversion. Paul's a convert. We converts love to tell our conversion story. I am no exception. After he's done, he goes on to tell a really less well-known story. He tells of visiting the temple in Jerusalem and says that while he was praying in the temple, he was 
the, the King James version says he was in a trance. What, what exactly does that mean? We don't totally know. Paul doesn't tell us exactly what that means, except that while he is in this trance, um, Paul tells us that God told him to leave Jerusalem because the people there were not going to receive what he had to say and that he should go preach to the Gentiles. So here we have this story, post-conversion for Paul. He goes to the temple to worship, wherein he has a spiritual vision of some kind. God gives him some direction. He follows the direction, and thus we have the book of Acts and all of the letters that Paul writes to the churches that he founds. Fascinating. If Jesus had done away with temples... What's Paul doing receiving revelation from God inside the walls of a temple? Uh, for most Latter-day Saints, there is nothing odd about that story. Or there's nothing odd about any story when someone goes to the temple and God communicates to them. If you don't have a story like that of your own, you certainly know someone who does. When we say sometimes it's easier to hear God speak in the temple, that would not be a controversial statement for any Latter-day Saint. The statement is hard for evangelicals because they hear us talk about temples. They think we're trying to make it harder to hear God, not easier. At this point in the conversation, your evangelical friend or family member might ask, well, why don't they make it so there are no rules and anybody can go in the temple? Don't you want everybody to hear from God? Why are you making it harder? Why are there so many rules about getting into the temple? And the reality is, yeah, we do. We actually do want everyone to hear from God. And, and we believe that living the kind of life that makes you temple worthy gives you the best chance at hearing from him. If you're living a life that perhaps you got some stuff going on and, and it is not a temple worthy life. I would suggest you might have a harder time hearing from God because some of the chaos in your life. It's not that we want to keep people out. It's that we want to help people construct their lives in a way that they regularly can hear from God without all of the other chaos going on. The requirements for temple entry are an aid to being able to hear from God, not a deterrent to it. Can God speak to a person anywhere? Of course he can. He spoke to Saul before he became Paul on the side of the road, basically the side of the highway. But that same Paul also recognizes the value of going to the temple where he could pray and hear from God. So it's taken us th this much background to make this connection. But the reality here is that evangelicals and Latter-day Saints all desperately want the same thing. We want a connection with the divine. We have some disagreements on how best to facilitate such a connection, but the desire is the same. They're worried that we're trying to keep people away from God, but it's an unfounded fear. Now, that could be an interesting conversation to have with your evangelical friends. So moving on, one of the things you might start to notice as we're here unpacking these evangelical <laughs> beliefs is that many of the questions that come up for evangelicals about our faith are born out of focusing on a different set of Bible verses than maybe we would focus on. 
that story about Paul in the temple, not at all weird to us. It'd be weird and uncomfortable for some of them to, to put any focus on that story. So set aside for the moment, the fact that we also have additional scriptures in, in, in addition to the Bible, just talking, just looking at the biblical text, you can see that we Latter-day Saints do focus on some different verses, different details. And many of the issues we'll cover in this series, you don't even have to look beyond the biblical text to have a good conversation about our differences. They're right there in the Bible. And you might wonder, like, how... How can this be? We read the same New Testament that they read. Why do we see things that they don't? You might be tempted to say, well, evangelicals are not sincere seekers of God, but that just isn't true. They, they, many of them are very sincere seekers of God and they search the scriptures diligently. We have modern revelation and that's part of it. We have prophets to help us. They point giant arrows at the things like it's hard to miss. Um, they don't, they don't have that. So we have some information that they don't, but perhaps there's something else going on here too. The Bible is a really big book with a lot of details that are just odd to our ears in the next video, we talk a little bit about um, translation and why translation is so weird and listening to it in, in differently in uh, the original language versus our English language is just it's so odd to our ears. And most people, just because we're humans and this is what we do, we condense this really big book down into some memorable parts. And then we attach a spiritual lesson to it and kind of put it in the done column like, okay, this veil in the temple separating the Holy of Holies was ripped when Jesus was crucified. That means no more temples. I have now figured out the meaning of this story. It's in my done column. I never have to think about it or consider it again. And they're not being ignorant. There's a lot of material to deal with. They're, they're simplifying things because it's what we humans do when we try to understand large amounts of information. We develop a system of shorthand to manage it all. I do, you do, everybody does. It really can take an act of humility to take a look at a text with fresh eyes to, to help maybe your evangelical friend or family member see, huh, there might be actually more going on in this passage than you originally thought. If you'd like to have that conversation with them, you probably need to make it so that they can have that conversation with you, meaning your humility as well as making it safe for them to have their humility. This is why I've gone on and on about their good motives, right? Their honorable values, their really good intentions around all of this. All of that is great information for you to have um, to, to make your challenge to them safe to look at the text in a new way, because that's a hard thing to do. When I was an evangelical, and I spent the vast majority of my life as an evangelical, I was baptized four years ago into our church. When I was an evangelical, I never, ever would have picked up on the detail of Paul having a, a, a vision slash trance in the temple. It's not that I disbelieved it. I just wouldn't have noticed it because it didn't fit in with the other bits of knowledge I was already trying to build on. That's how the human brain works. I didn't have any place to put that information 
because my preconceived idea was already that temples weren't important, that Jesus had done away with them. As members of the church, sometimes I think we shy away from a really careful reading of the Bible, not out of laziness or disinterest, but because we already have such a feast of, of other scriptures and conference talks and leaders who are just constantly teaching us. Like we have so much more to deal with. Sometimes we don't give the Bible a very close reading. Um, it And it makes conversation with evangelicals hard because they do give the Bible a close reading. They don't always see what we see. And so asking them to see what we see, it, it, it's a little trick. So it's understandable enough why they don't do that. After listening to all of this, you can see how having a conversation with a friend who is not of our faith about the Bible actually can lead you to some parts of scripture that perhaps you overlooked, not in a, you're a lazy learner kind of way, but just in a way of like, huh, whoever noticed that detail there and what an interesting conversation that might be to have with your friend. I hope that as you're going through these videos um, and as you're reading through the New Testament this year, that you are doing a really close and careful reading of the text, not just assuming you already know what it says, but with a mind that's open to the spirit to see the, the details that are important for you. And also to just get curious about what would it be like to share some of those details with people outside of our faith. We have so much in common with them regarding the New Testament, and we have some real unique gifts to offer them to make them go, huh, interesting. I never understood that Paul went to the temple after Jesus's resurrection. That's something to think about, right? Now, there's, that's an interesting conversation. So join us next week. We will look at another question that comes up with the readings. Um, if you have any specific questions that you are hoping to get answered in this series, please contact FAIR directly, or you can email me, jennifer at fairlatterdaysaints.org, and I'll see you next week.